Well, if you've been around for um, a couple weeks, you might be saying, why did we read Romans 3 when we are in Romans 1? But also, if you've been around for a couple weeks, you're beginning to realize that all of Romans is expounding on Romans 1, 16, and 17. That this is the thesis statement for Paul's letter to this church. And so, we've been looking at it and taking a little bit more time just in 16 and 17 for the last two weeks, and then we'll be in 17 this week and one more week next week. Why? Because it's, it's important. It is the, the grounds, the ground on which we would declare the gospel. And so Paul has actually laid that out even in his greeting to this church in Rome. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church that he's never been to and yet he loves and he cares about. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That that gospel of God. This is the plan of God. And what we're going to see this morning is that all of Scripture points to the gospel of God. What has God done in His Son, Jesus, that is so miraculous and so powerful, as we looked at last week, the power to save, that, that we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. Not just us. Like this is, this is a small snapshot when you look around this room, but there are people all over the world that are gathering together, and I'm thank, thankful for Matt just reminding us that there are people that are, are gathering at the risk of their mortal lives because this gospel is so sweet and good, and they need to hear it again. And you and I need to hear it again. We need to to hear this gospel, even though so much of it is what we heard last week. Even though so much of it is what we, maybe if you do a, a devotion in the morning, you hear it each week. Because we need the righteousness of God today. We need to know what He has done to save us. Some of us have said in here a lot. And we hear this over and over, and yet... It can become mundane and routine. And I pray that God would fill it with power today. That He would remind those that are saved of the joy of their salvation. Like you were dead and now you are alive. And that some of us who maybe walked in today dead would actually come alive. And so we, we beg God to do that. What we're looking at today in verse 17, is the righteousness of God revealed. And when we think about this revelation, um, maybe maybe you've heard of a a big reveal that happens. So maybe you're, you're into art. I'm not, but that's okay. Some of us are. Like some of us like to go to art shows and see different stuff displayed. Or maybe it's a museum exhibit and you you've seen the signs that say, hey, it's a one night only event. Right? And you get excited about it. And there's this anticipation that builds. And maybe, okay, maybe this will be a little closer to home. Maybe you're thinking about the new Super Mario Brothers movie and, and you watched all the trailers leading up to it, right? And so then you, then you get to the theater and you actually get to see it. Or maybe it's the new Air movie. There's, there's a lot of different movies that it could be. But I want to just point to the fact that what we have in the gospel is the revealing of the fullness of God's plan. The righteousness of God 
revealed in Jesus, His Son. And so the whole Old Testament is this this trailer that's pointing to this thing that's going to happen. And sometimes it's like a sneak peek and it just leaves you hanging. But the reality is that it builds this anticipation. And so the, the, the people of God anticipated that God Himself was going to come and He was going to do something in such a magnificent and powerful way that it would change the world and it would change their lives and they would actually see the righteousness of God displayed, the fullness of His plan. So this morning, we get to see the big reveal. We get to see the one night only event. And, and yet, we keep looking back to it and re, we get to read it. God's given us His Word, His revelation, His plan revealed so that you and I don't have to wait for one night. We get to go to it over and over and over and rest in this truth and see the righteousness of God revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We can have great illustrations. We can think about movie trailers. We can think about um, whatever the event is. But the reality is that the only way that this is actually revealed to our hearts is by the Spirit. By the Spirit of God doing a miracle in each one of us that we would see and believe. And so we ask Him. We pray with me? God, would you open our eyes? Would you give us ears to hear? God, may we see the fullness of your righteousness in the person of Jesus today. May we see how you put our sin on him and you have given us your righteousness and you have justified us by condemning your son all the way to to the cross. And so, Lord, may we see that May we see the resurrection. May we see the power of God on display to save sinners. And that you are just and righteous in doing so. And Lord, may we not see it in a way that is impersonal, but may we press in and see that Jesus loved us so much that he died on the cross for our sins. May it not just be a a phrase that we use, but may it be a a radical, life-changing belief in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Romans 16 said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 17 begins four. And anytime you have a four, you have to go back and look at what he's talking about. So four, he's talking about the gospel The gospel that is the power of God for salvation. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Next week we're going to look at what does it look like to walk in faith-filled obedience. This morning we're just pressing into this short phrase, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. We talked about Revelation, like, like the, the whole Old Testament, and you, you can go all the way back to the beginning, right? When did we need a Savior? You go to the garden, and you see in the fall that we said on our own, I can live. Adam said that. But what we've begun to understand as we've looked at the book of Romans and as we look at Scripture, through Adam's sin, we actually have a, a sin that's put on our record. Now, that, that's, that's 
we would say, well, that's not fair. But then you look at our lives, and we, we also sin. So it is fair. We, because of Adam's sin, are sinful people. But the beauty of it is that even in that moment when Adam and Eve sin, God promises, God points to the big reveal that's going to come one day. And you see it in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The serpent is being condemned by God. The serpent that caused the sin to happen, that, that spread the lie that Adam and Eve bought. So the sin is theirs. It's not, it's not just Satan's sin. It's, it's their sin. But he deceived them. But God promises in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3, in the very beginning of Scripture, the Lord God said to the servant, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, it's a little cryptic. Right? If Adam and Eve are listening, they're probably wondering the same thing you and I are wondering. What does that mean? And yet what we've seen is that in, in the Gospel, in the crucifixion of Jesus, we've seen a, a wounding of the Son of God. The one who has gone to the cross and He's taken this, this wound, this, this pain. And, and so the serpent will wound his heel. But that's not the ultimate end of the story. The ultimate end of the story is that at the cross, Jesus crushes the head of the serpent. Like He defeats sin and death once and for all. And so that's what we're given is, is this illusion, this this vision of what's going to come. And that's at the very beginning. And then you have thousands of years of God continuing to promise that He will be our God and we will be His people because He is going to do something. He's going to do something about our sin. He's going to come and He's going to rescue us from sin. And He's going to save us. You see it in Isaiah 56.1 and it's a very clear, a much clearer promise. And so I'm thankful for that because Sometimes we get caught up in um, the, the, the figures of speech and, and the illusions that are given. And, but we have some clarity in Isaiah 56 1. It says, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. It's saying that there's still something to come where the righteousness of God will be revealed. It's, the attribute of God is already there. God is righteous. He's holy. He's other. But there is a display that's going to come after Isaiah that will reveal the righteousness of God. What is he talking about? What is this reveal that's going to happen? The anticipation that God's people had that He would be faithful is so powerful you look at the history of the Israelite people and the things that they went through and, and the, the way that they were persecuted and they were in exile and they were brought back and they continue. There's a remnant that continues to believe that God's Word is true even when they look around and the circumstances do not look like God's Word is true. Everything looks broken. God, you promised that you would do this and yet we're in exile. 
or we're, we're being attacked by a neighboring country, or we're just sinful, like we can't get out of our own sin. Thinking about David this week, and, and David, a man after God's own heart, and the sin that he wrestled with, how broken and how messed up it was. He, he's one of the, the best that we can put forward, and yet he is broken and needs a Savior. He needs the righteousness of God to be revealed. How does the gospel reveal God's righteousness? Like when you think about the gospel work of Jesus, so again, we just need to define our terms here. The gospel is the good news that the Son of God came and became flesh. Right? We believe that He was born of the Virgin Mary and entered into flesh. Fully God and fully man. Hard to wrap our heads around. We need the Spirit to do something in us to actually believe that that's true. But this fully God and fully man human being enters in and he walks perfect righteousness. Like the, the gospel is not just the cross. The gospel is, is Jesus entering into every relationship and seeing the brokenness and the sorrow and the sin and embracing it and loving those people fully. His perfect obedience to the Father's will is part of the gospel. Because what we're going to find is that at the cross, there's a transaction that takes place. At the cross, you and I bring our sin and our shame, our brokenness, our transgressions, our guilt. It's all we have. That's all we bring. And yet at the cross, Jesus brings righteousness. He brings holiness. He brings perfect obedience to the Father. So when we, when, we, when we are atoned for, right, by that propitiation piece that we read about in Romans 3, when our sin is paid for by Jesus, He takes the sin on. So we talked about an imputed sin, which means input. I know it's a, a hard word, but it's a sin that's been put on us by Adam. But then we also see that we actually walk in that sin. So what we need is an imputed righteousness. We need a, a righteousness put in us that's not our own. Well, where do we get that righteousness from? Look to Jesus. Look at how He lived. Look at His obedience to the law. Look at His fulfillment of the law. Look at the way that He loves by laying down His life for those around Him. He calls us to love the Lord our God. He says, listen, if you, if you see all of these commandments, you can sum all of the commandments up in these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then you watch how He did it. The Gospel is the good news that Jesus has done all of these things. And so at the cross, when God displays His righteousness, He gives us the beauty and obedience, holiness of Jesus. And Jesus takes our sin and our shame and dies the death that we deserve. That's the righteousness of God on display. Because listen, if, if God just said, don't worry about it, it's no big deal, your sin will just forget about it, then He's not just. And what we need, what we long for, is a just King, a just God. One who actually does hate evil punishes evil 
Because evil is prevalent in our world. And, and, and it d- deserves punishment. And so that sin has to be punished. And so you and I see that Jesus actually takes the punishment for sin. What is the punishment for sin? It's death, yes, but it's, it's, it's a death that's not just a bodily death, but it's a separation from God. All of us are going to die. We're, we're, we will all die in these bodies, or God's going to come back and, and ransom us and, and resurrect us and, and uh, rapture us. I was looking for my R words right there, and I lost it. Right? But, but we have one bodily death. But the death that, that we're talking about here is a separation from God himself. That's the punishment for sin. And at the cross, Jesus bears that for us. For those who receive him by faith, Jesus is separated from the Father for you and for me. But the good news is that the story doesn't end there. Like he, he rises again and proves that he has defeated sin and death. So everyone who's in him also walks in that victory over sin and death. How does the gospel reveal? Well, Tim Keller says it this way. It's an unparalleled claim, as the word revealed shows, that no one, the, the, the reveal of the gospel is that it shows. We wouldn't come to it, we would not know of it, we would not find it or guess it unless God showed it through his word. Right standing is received from God, offered to us by his son. We have right standing given to us by Jesus. But what does the gospel reveal? The gospel reveals that Jesus is the Son of God. It reveals that we have been saved. That power of God for salvation actually took place in Jesus. Listen, as we're going through Romans, and, and we've got one more week in, uh, in this springtime in Romans, and then we'll enter in again next spring. But I would just encourage you to read Hebrews alongside as you, as you kind of see that there's some correlations between these two epistles. But Hebrews begins this way. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. We've looked at this last week. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. How has God revealed? How does the gospel reveal? The gospel reveals because the gospel is about the Son. It's about God Himself. We, when we see Jesus, we see God. We talked at community group this week about our idea of what love is, and yet the Bible says that God is love. So the only way that we know what love is is if we know who God is and we see what love is. The same thing with power. And what we find here is that as we see Jesus, we see who God is. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I, I feel like every, every Sunday, this somehow weaves its way into our time together. Because our invitation is to know God, the Creator, the One who sustains all things. 
How do we know Him? Because we've seen Jesus. Because we have His Word. And so we have the good news of the Gospel where we see God working righteousness for us. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Matt already talked about it in the prayer confession. I hope you're listening. He stole my illustration, and that's all right. We've got, we got the whiteboard that's full of our sin. And we think if we could just get back to neutral, that would be good. Like that, that's more than we deserve, because I know my sin, and it's so prevalent, and I, even the good things that I do, I'm, also, I'm often doing out of wrong reasons. And so neutral would be great, but not, we don't get back to neutral. We get back to a full record, a full whiteboard. Like imagine this glass is, is just this huge whiteboard and all of it was covered with your sin. And it looked awful, and yet God washes it with His blood. And so He takes this black thing where it's nasty and dirty, and He washes it with blood, and somehow it becomes white. Like I don't understand in my color scheme, how that's possible. And yet, it becomes this beautiful, cleansed, completely free of sin, and on there is perfect obedience to the Father. Love of the outcast. Minister to the broken. Healer. Like all of the things that Jesus is, is now credited to your record. When God sees you, He no longer sees your sin. He sees the perfect obedience of His Son. Somewhere in our hearts, that's got to do this deep thing where we're like, that is not right. I'm not worthy of that. And yet He has said that we are worthy, so that's where we find our value. And if that's where we find our value, then none of the circumstances of life can change your worth. If you are in Christ, you are bought with an incredible price. The price of the Son. And in the Son, you have the fullness of the righteousness of God on your record. God's revealed Himself to us in the Gospel. It's the good news of His Son, Jesus. So that's, that's the reveal portion, right? It's pointing to, like, how has God revealed in the gospel? But, but what has he revealed? Like, as you, as you look at the righteousness of God, what does that mean? God's righteousness is displayed as he saves sinners, like you and I, through his son Jesus. We talked about the justice of God. Like, we want a just king. David Peterson, in his commentary on Romans, says, Righteousness is certainly an attribute of God, but the term is used to describe how God acts to establish justice for his people and put them right with himself. It's almost like we're entering into that courtroom aspect and we're saying that we are condemned, we are judged and found wanting, and yet one stands in our place and he is not found wanting and he's paying the price for us, he's taking the penalty for us, and we're being given what he had. It's not like that. It is that. Second Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the deal. You and I being saved is the display of God's righteousness. That's crazy. That means to to fully display that, He uses sinners like you and I. To, To put on display His glory and His power God of the universe has has chosen and purchased sinners like you and I by His Son to display His righteousness. He who knew no sin. There was only one who knew no sin. We read in in our Romans 3 passage that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.21. Sorry, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 24, often we just take 23 and we use that as our nugget. But 24, you got to have 24. And are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God, God is doing all of the work here. God's doing everything through His Son, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. God is, is, is righteous. That's, a, that's an attribute. That's His character. That means to be right. What I think we wrestle with is understanding that He uses us to display His righteousness. And when I deny the sin that's in my heart, when I, when I pretend to perform, I'm actually trying to take away from His righteousness. Now, I can't actually do that. But I can make it smaller. And we talk about this. We want the cross to loom large, right? We don't want to make the cross small. But we do that when we we don't recognize the depth of our sin. We do that when we try to add to what Jesus has already done by, by our righteousness or our obedience or our performance. But really what we need is a really big cross. We need a God who can save us from the depth of our sin and reconcile us to a, a holy God. We need a Savior who has done that. So today we see that in Christ who became sin for us. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This righteousness that is ours is not ours. I'm going to say it again, because if you're listening, you'll be like, that doesn't make sense. This righteousness that is ours is not ours. We have a righteousness that's given to us by the righteous one, by Jesus himself. Fortunately, I demand a righteousness from you that is yours all the time. I come with my expectations that you're going you're gonna to behave, you're going to do whatever I think is right. And I sit in the place of God and demand from you a righteousness that is yours. And I forget that God has supplied the righteousness that you need because I forget that God has supplied the righteousness that I need. But when we remember that, when we sit at that place, 
We can actually love one another. We can actually be patient with one another. We can watch what God does as he displays his righteousness by saving sinners like you and I. Philippians 3, 8, and 9. Kids, if you're listening and you've got your worksheet, pay attention. Philippians 3, 8, and 9. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We're going to spend a whole another week talking about from faith, for faith, for the righteous shall live by faith. But today we need to realize that the only way that we take hold of that righteousness that's offered in Jesus, is through faith. It's, it's both a one-time faith and a continuing faith. It's, it's that first moment where I receive what Jesus has done for me by faith, and I rejoice in it. But, but maybe for you, that was 20 or 30, 40, 60, 70 years ago. That doesn't mean that that faith is dead and done. That means that today, I have to take hold of that faith again. I have to believe that what Jesus has done on the cross was sufficient. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to lose your salvation. I'm just saying that every day we have a daily need to remember the righteousness of Christ and what he has purchased for us so that we can walk in that today. That which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Listen, as we close our time today, I want us to look at one more aspect of all of this, because I think we can um, kind of, even with some of the, the language of a courtroom, some of the, the language of a, of a whiteboard, some of this impersonal status, we can lose sight of the fact that Jesus loved us. It can become very sterile, like especially in a room like this where everything's white and it echoes and it's cold. It can become very sterile. The reality is that, that this was worked on your behalf by the Son of God who loved you and laid down His life for you. Our understanding of this righteousness worked in us opens our eyes to the incredible grace that we've received. That reality produces worship in us, and that becomes a very interactional relational aspect. The one who has loved you, you get the opportunity today to love and to worship. The one who has laid down his life for you calls you to lay down your life for him. And that's not a burden that we bear. That's a joy that we have that I get to lay down my life for the one that I love. Because he's told me that that's what love looks like. Hear this too. The Christ the Messiah, the one that they waited for, that they had trailers pointing to and anxiously anticipated. He came and He lived a perfect life. Yes, He was the righteousness of God sent to execute the plan of God, but He wasn't a robot. You can ask Mary Magdalene. You can ask Peter. You can ask Cornelius. 
You can ask the people that met Jesus face to face. And one day we're going to get the opportunity, but you don't even have to wait till then. You can go and read it right now. They were changed drastically by the, the human interaction of seeing Jesus. And then they see that He went all the way to the cross, just like He said He would, that He would come and He would bear their burdens. And He would bear their sin. And He would pay the price for it so that they would be saved. Jesus was a man who came and lived in relationship with other humans. Fully God, fully man. The beauty is that today, if we are in Christ, we have His righteousness that we get to interact with other humans in the same way. We get to love other people the same way. Not because we're good people, but because that righteousness is being put in us by the power of the Spirit that dwells in each one of us. And we get to walk in this today. For His glory, yes, but also for our good, for our enjoyment, for our fullness, our satisfaction in experiencing Jesus. This Jesus who was fully human was ultimately betrayed, abandoned, and forsaken by those people as He did not forsake them. Today, if you've been hurt, if you're, if you're dealing with people who have hurt you, um, there's some beauty here that Christ entered in and knows your pain, knows your hurt, and that actually our pain can't even begin to compare to His pain, His suffering, His brokenness. And so this God-man enters in and experiences what you and I experience, and He calls us to follow Him, to love Him. There's a, there's a peace and a joy in recognizing that our suffering, our, our Savior suffered the same way. And so I would just encourage you, like if that's where you're at today, press into Jesus, find somebody, ask us to pray with you. Like, I know it feels like, oh, that's just, it's just something people say. No, listen, the best thing that we can do is pray with one another. The best thing that we can do is take each other to Jesus through prayer and through, through sharing Scripture and encouraging one another. That's the opportunity that you and I have today because of the righteousness that's been displayed. The righteousness of God because of what Jesus has done. You and I get to press into that. Jesus, the God-man full of love, mercy, forgiveness, grace, compassion. He submitted to the Father's will for the sake of His people who would receive Him by faith. So as sterile and impersonal as some of these things feel, it doesn't get any more personal than a faith and a trust in Jesus. That yes, He actually paid for my sin. Yes, He actually loved me so much that He would lay down His life for me. If you have ears to hear today, I pray that you would hear this. Jesus loves you. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Like it, it just becomes this, this childish song. But if it's true, it's radical and life-changing. That Jesus loves me. That we know it because He's revealed His righteousness. He's, he's shown us in His Word. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me that I was a sinner in need of a Savior and God Himself came and rescued me and saved me. 
All that Jesus did in revealing the righteousness of God, the justice and mercy of God, he did in love for those who would believe. We spend some time in 1 John, at the beginning of the year, 1 John 4, 8 through 10 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God has loved you. Personally. And corporately. Because if he's loved you, and, and I take hold of Jesus by faith, and he's loved me, that means he loves us. So it's both very personal, but then it's also this corporate thing that, that changes the way that we interact, changes the way we live, changes the way that we love those around us. The fullness of the love of God is seen in the Son. The fullness of the righteousness of God is revealed in the Son who would come, who would die, who would rise again, who's ascended. Today we get to enjoy that. We get to remember that. We get to believe that together. And I pray that it would fill our hearts with worship and gratitude and joy. That we would leave here different from the way that we walked in. Even though we heard the same thing last week, that we would leave different and changed and transformed into His image. So that He would receive all the glory, all the honor that He's due. Amen? God, we thank You. We thank You that You have both taken our guilt and our shame. That You have given us right standing before a holy God through the work of Your Son, Jesus. That today we would be righteous as we take hold of Him by faith. That we've been credited a righteousness that we did not produce. So kind. God, the grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. God, would you fill us again with the sweetness of that? And would it not stay in an impersonal understanding, a mental understanding, but would it, would it fill us with a heart conviction and an affection for you because you have loved us so much and so well? May we love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pray that your love in us would produce a love for you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the obedience of the Son that would reconcile us to a holy God. Thank you for putting your Spirit in us today that we too get to walk in that same righteousness, loving those that are unlovable for your glory and our joy. We pray this in your name. Amen.